Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. For today uh, is various verses and our uh, George paraphrase is how he gives it to me so if you don't exact, um, recognize the exact terms talk to George anyway the first is Matthew verse 6 chapter 6 verses 24 and 33 Jesus said you cannot worship and serve two masters you will hate one and love the other. You will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot worship and adore both God and money at the same time. Instead of allowing worry and anxiety to control you, choose to be preoccupied with the values and purposes of the kingdom of God. And again, Matthew 19, verse 24. Jesus spoke further about money when he said, listen carefully to this intentional hyperbole. It is far easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And finally, Acts chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. On the Sabbath day, we went to a village near the river, a place for, of prayer for Jews. We made ourselves comfortable and initiated conversations with various women gathered there. One of the women, Lydia, who came from the town of Thyatira, was a successful, wealthy dealer in purple goods. She worshipped the Lord who helped her listen carefully to Paul's words about Jesus. Because of her faith, she and her, and her household were baptized. Then she made her home available to all of us with these words. If you think I truly believe in Christ, then join me for dinner in my home. Her invitation was warmly accepted by us. Thank you, uh, thank you, Mary. We're going to do a breakout group where you are, and uh, I have in my hands some big money you can see it's 500 500 and so the breakout question is how many meals would this serve for a family of four you know one meal five meals uh, somebody raised all their hands 10 i saw that yeah how many what did you speak louder because someone was really loud? Speak louder. Microphone's not on. Oh, the microphone's on. Oh, I can't. Okay. 
Sorry. Hello? What? No. It's it's on technicians. Yeah. Are we on now? Okay. Um, yes, no? I got my switch on. Um, how many meals would it serve? One, five, or ten? Ten. Ten? Okay. Yeah, five. Okay. <laughs> well, this, this 500, this is a 500 lek bill. That is the, the equivalent dollar in Albania. And uh, several years ago when uh, I came back from our, our annual yearly trip, I came back with several of these and I decided that it would be wise if I paper clipped my big time American money, you see that big time money? Mm -hmm. In between this, these two bills, you know, so no one would think I had a lot of money, you know. Well, what's interesting about this is that, you know, back in the day when you'd pay cash like this, at a store versus a card, <laughs> about half the time, the clerk would say, where's that money from? And I would tell the clerk, and then we would have this interesting discussion sometimes about why are you there, what's going on there, because most people did not really know about Albania. So this is designed to start us on the subject of money. And, you know, it's, uh, as we say, the Bible talks about a lot of, uh, a lot of hot topics. And, uh, and, and hear that, that, that sound, if you hear that again, uh, <clears throat> that's the technician say, saying, George, your time for the sermon is over. Just so you know. So, Jesus in his, in the scripture that he heard today, used intentional hyperbole. And hyperbole is, you know, we use that like, like we might say, wow, you, that was great. You know, together we could fly to the moon. Hello, that's hyperbole, intended exaggeration, hyper. You say a person is hyper. Well, Jesus was using intended exaggeration to make his point that it's harder for a person, and I'll call it a person who is in, in love with money. And everything is all about me and my money. He's saying it's harder for that person to connect with Jesus than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now the interesting thing about that is that this subject of money is very dominant, very, very dominant in the scriptures. And I, I want to start this with just a chance for you to laugh. And so the cartoon shows them collecting, and uh, they've gathered the offering and they're going to you know, get all the money together and it said, and the guy says, it's my latest invention. The offering plate will ring a little bell if you put in a $20 bill. And if you don't put in anything, it will take your picture. 
Okay. Or this one. <clears throat> they didn't teach us this in preaching 101. And so it shows them after the worship service and uh, standing in front of the church, stacks and stacks of money. And he says, we weren't listening well. What did you say about money in your sermon? So it obviously uh, got their attention. Well, several, <clears throat> several weeks ago, at the beginning of this sabbatical time, I did a sermon on time and how we use that word time all the time. And it's something in our head. And in a similar way, money, money and time are the big things that we're looking out for, trying to deal with. So I want you to think about a person who might come to you and say, you know, I, I sort of have read the Bible and you know, I think I think the Bible just it just deals with spiritual things and maybe emotional things, but it doesn't deal with any concrete stuff like money, somebody would say. Well, here's a way to respond to that. Because not true. <laughs> and notice how the gospel begins. It begins with the story of the wise men traveling hundreds of miles in order to do what? Doing what? Bring a, a nicely little wrapped a children's toy. What did they bring? Yeah, hey, gold, gold, big money, frankincense, Myrrh, very, very expensive gifts. I have another cartoon, I'll spare you the picture, but it shows the three wise men on their way to the Christ child. And they all, the, the, the two in front have the gold and the frankincense. And the third wise man on the, wise man on the camel has a sled, a children's sled on his back. And he's saying to them, why didn't you tell me I was supposed to bring expensive gifts? Yeah, okay. So it starts out with the whole subject of money, that that enabled Mary and Joseph and the, and the Christ child to be cared for and protected and to be safe as they moved forward. Money starts it out. This statistic, prayer 270 times, according to Jesus, relationships and loving others 370 times, he spoke 2,000 times in the Gospels about money and possessions. 2,000. So his many parables about money get at the fact that it's really easy for us 
to become preoccupied and, as the French Bible says, to adore money. When it calls us to worship and adore Christ. And notice all the parables that are money-centered. Um, this one, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The two religious leaders see the beaten man along the roadside and they just kind of ignore him and walk on the other way. And then it was the Samaritan that came by and had compassion. His compassion took time and it took money. And it says that he took him to the equivalent of a hotel and paid his bill to assist with his recovery. Again, the theme of money. And then as we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus engaging, engaging all the time with very, very poor people. And we read, for example, of the, of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And then we see this in John's Gospel, where Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery. And you see the crowd of men around waiting, waiting to stone her. And, and I put the parentheses in that. I thought in order for adultery to occur, it also needs to involve a man. I don't think a woman can do adultery by herself. Where was the man? Why weren't they stoning the man? Well, there was no equality. <laughs> they were going to stone the woman. And Jesus stopped all that and inter intervened and engaged with this about to die, very financially poor woman. And then there's the contrast. He walks by the tax collector's stand. And, and, and those guys were so notorious. And they were so filthy, 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 rich in the first century. They collected the necessary tax from you, but if they could get more money out of you, they'd take it. Bad dudes. And so... Scripture shows Jesus coming by the tax collector stand and says, Hey, Levi, follow me. And it says that Levi left the stand, his tax collecting stand. And he followed Jesus. And then it says later that he had this big, luxurious house and he invited Jesus and other Jesus followers there for dinner. And again, it was under this heading of money, money. Or there's Zacchaeus, a curious guy, a rich guy. He was so curious, he climbed the tree because he knew Jesus was coming by on this path because he wanted to see Jesus. And in the midst of money, this is also pointing to curiosity. 
and a sideline, I'd say, how much curiosity are we carrying about Jesus? This dude that climbed the tree had a ton of curiosity to get him up there so he could look at Jesus and eventually connect with him. Again, that was all in the setting of wealth and money. Well, I told you that I came back with this $500 lek and people would, 500, excuse me, I made a mistake, didn't I? I called it a $500 lek. <clears throat> Bad. It's simply a 500 lek. And that created for me a kind of curiosity about where, where do things stand in the world about wealth? And so I began to track per capita incomes of the nations of the world. People ask, first of all, what's per capita income in Albania? Yeah, it's about, it's improved. It's about 15 to $20,000 a year. So I kept this list. Well, at the top of the list is this little time Luxembourg in Europe. And they are about $120,000 per capita per person. It's this big banking capital area. $120,000 money. At the other end of the scale, unfortunately, is Afghanistan. $415 roughly per capita per year. That's income of a dollar a day roughly. And so the, the Bible has been very thematic about money. As I mentioned, Albania, that is a scene in the town where we work and the sheep are always present and uh, we who have gone as teams to the country now understand much better Jesus' statement about being the good shepherd because literally in the morning about six o'clock we hear when we stay in the church building nearby we hear sheep bells and we see the shepherds taking the sheep up into the mountains for the day of eating. <laughs> and then about 5.30 at night, we see the sheep and the shepherds coming back down. It's been a very interesting experience. Anyway, money, twelve to $15,000 a year. Well, I had to do some hard thinking about money in our time in Albania. From the first year, the Albanians, we were there to work alongside the Albanians. They were in charge. We were there to assist. And they asked us, did for the first two, three, four years, to go one or two Americans with two Albanians and door, go door to door and give out an Albanian Bible that had just been published. And of course, all of that was forbidden 
under the terrible dictatorship of Enver Haja for, for decades. Suddenly this was available and they asked us then to go door to door and give out Bibles. And so we went to one house and we, the Albanians knocked on the door. And as the owners of the house opened the door, what we saw down the hallway of the house was that they, they then had TV. They finally could have TV. <laughs> they were watching that show called Dallas that was going on big time several decades ago about all these wealthy people. And we on the American, there were two of us on the American team there. And later when we debriefed, we, we all, we said to each other, we said, what are we going to say? Because they've been watching that and they think we are like those people. That's the stereotype that they're going to put on us. That we're rich, rich, rich. Well, in that, in that particular home, as was typical, we had about an hour-long conversation. And in the midst of that, they in fact said, how much money do you make? And our team, two of us Americans, wisely were able to say, make enough money to feed our family and have a place to sleep and live. No numbers, because that was a loaded question. Because we wanted to stay with them. We wanted to keep the conversation going. We wanted to, didn't want them to think we were some kind of crazy rich Americans. Money. And the interesting thing about all of those visits is that they, they caused a number, a lot of people, in fact, the Albanians, Christians were able to cause a lot of folks to come to faith in Christ. And out of that, house churches grew and the church grew and grew. But I learned about money in that conversation. And I close with another point of learning. Uh, you may know that I am famous for having grown up in a very large metropolitan area of Colfax, Washington. Uh, you probably know where WSU is. Uh, Colfax is this little town north of it, and it's a farming town, and I grew up on a farm. So under the heading of what the Bible says about money, here's my learning point. My father and my mother rent for several years rented a farm before they bought their own <coughs> property. And I remember every September about this time of year, my father would say to me, okay, Monday, Monday we have an appointment at 11 o'clock with old Mrs. Navsinger. That was her name. She was the landlord and she lived in this beautiful house. And my dad would say, now you need to get dressed up. You need to be in your best clothes to go see old Mrs. Napsing, because she owns all this stuff. 
and he would have spent several several weeks pulling all the papers together so that he had all the finances perfectly together so he could present the papers, pay his share to her, the landlord. Well, what then really got my attention is that that's a, that's a metaphor for what the scripture teaches about possession. Old Mrs. Nafsinger owned the farm. We were just renters. And so the scriptures teach that God is the owner. He's the creator. He's the owner. We are the house managers, or the renter, or the renters of his property. And that, that points to the whole idea of the biblical term of the tithe, giving at least 10% back to the Lord and his work because he is the owner. Now, running that a bit forward then, after growing up with old Mrs. Napsinger, a few years ago, my wife and I were in premarital counseling. You'll have to define few for yourself, a few years ago. And uh, one of the many topics the excellent counselor laid out before us as we were thinking about getting married and had no idea what that really meant, is one day in the counseling was devoted to finances. Hello, that's a big deal for a marriage, for a family, we all know that. And in the midst of all that, he introduced us to the 10-80-10 plan. Okay, I give 10% of my income back to the Lord because he's the owner. I save the other 10%, put it into an investment savings account. I live on the remaining 80%. And that's really culturally different, you know, because we're sort of taught to just burn it all up and live on 120%, you know, with credit cards and so on. But as she and I listened to the 108010 plan, we went, yeah, yeah, that that would reduce a lot of stress and that would keep things a lot more simple if we could do that. And so over our years, we've done pretty well. We haven't been perfect. But there's been a great joy for us in being able to pull out, first of all, the 10% and say, God's the owner and here's my rent fee. And I'm joyfully giving it back to you, God, for your work. And it's been a great joy for us to see our 10% be given to gospel work in a lot of different places in the world and see the impact that that has had. So under the heading of 
The Bible and money. The biggie, biggie, biggie subject of the Bible. I leave this with you. The 1080-10 plan. God is the owner. We are the managers. And the other picture I think of is, you know, we, we've all had the experience of going on a vacation. And, and the owner of the house is away, but they are allowing us to stay in the house and even drive their car. And you think back of those times, and as you were in that, and I was in that house that belonged to somebody else, wow, I thought about them a lot. And, and I wanted, when they got back, I wanted their house to be in perfect condition, like they gave it to me. Well, there it is. That's the metaphor. God has given us the world. We're the renters. We're the part-time occupants. We want to give his world back to him in the way that he has given it to us. I close with this an invitation for you to to borrow an already uh, read book by me. But if you borrow this and decide to read it, let me warn you, be sure you read it with a seatbelt on. Because this thing hits hard. Money, sex, and power. Hello. Are those biggies or what? Yes. Richard Foster. So, uh, since we're uh, celebrating a sabbatical time, uh, keep going on your sabbatical by uh, reading it, and I'd love to have you take it and read it, and then uh, tell me about it later. Hey, let's pray, and we'll offer a praise song. Thank you, God, for what you have created. My goodness, to even think of the vastness of planet Earth is difficult to think of the universe. Hello. And so we thank you for what you've given and for the privilege that we have of being caretakers, managers of your blessed time and space and resources and money. In Christ's name.